0: Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Brie, episode 6, The Light and Life of the World. Now I'm getting this week's Come Follow Me um, lesson or podcast out a little bit late because I did part 2 from, or actually <laughs> part 3 from the previous week on Monday. Anyway, so I'm hoping to get better at being a little bit more concise because I don't want to be putting out three episodes every week. (laughs) So on to this week's curriculum chapters, third Nephi chapters eight through 11. These are mine. And I'm sure many of your favorite chapters in the book of Mormon. And I want to, I want to preface it by saying that I will be reading a fair amount from the Savior Himself, because I cannot say it better than Him, and I don't think any of us can hear what He has to say too many times. So, tempests, earthquakes, fires, whirlwinds, and physical upheavals attest of the crucifixion of Christ. Many people are destroyed, and darkness covers the land for three days. That's the synopsis that they kind of give you at the beginning of chapter eight. So darkness it describes it as a thick darkness they could feel the vapor of the darkness in chapter 8 verse 21 it says and there could be no light because of the darkness neither candles neither torches neither could there be any fire kindled with their fine and exceedingly dry wood so that it could so that there could not be any light at all And there was not any light seen, neither fire nor glimmer, neither the sun nor the moon nor the stars for so great were the mists of darkness, which were upon the face to face of the land. Before we move on to the main thing I want to talk about with this, um, I saw an article that was kind of cool. Um, I think it was an LDS living. um, And it was talking about how, this mist of darkness could be scientifically explained and it talked about a massive volcano eruption and perhaps the mist of darkness that wouldn't allow for anything to light could have been volcanic ash. just thought that was interesting so I wanted to add that in there but of course we don't know exactly what went on there. One of my favorite thoughts that I like to have is that science is god's toolbox so i think a lot of the miracles that we hear about somehow god is manipulating science in a way that allows for him to do that and i just think it's cool to think of science and heavenly father working together so i want to move on to my main point of what i wanted to talk about so there was not any light scene they couldn't see a spark or the sun or the moon or the stars or any light at all they couldn't even light a fire and in these chapters there is a lot of themes focusing on light and darkness Jesus Christ as we know is the light of the world and it is certainly the most perfect symbolism when the light of the world is killed by his own that this would be the sign for the Nephites a saying I have always heard is, quote, darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. How perfect is it that the light of the world is no longer physically present in the world at this time, and the sign of his death is that literally no light is able to be seen. Can you imagine that? No light at all. Just. Think about that in reality. Imagine that your world has just gone through total destruction and blackness for three days. What would that mean for you for three days? You might have no idea where you were going. If you're trying to move to find family members or whatever you're trying to do. Uh, What if you were seriously injured? You wouldn't be able to get to where you need to go for help. You might try some inadequate solutions to try to heal. You would have a really hard time finding food and water, especially since your world has just been destroyed. You would struggle to find any peace and calm. And I can imagine that I, all I would be able to feel would be stress, worry, uh, discomfort, sadness, anger, all those kinds of emotions. I want you to think. Of your life now what makes you feel figuratively surrounded by darkness is it anger you've been holding on to maybe media you're allowing into your thoughts and into your brain maybe your favorite sin that you are cherishing and i want you to think on that for a sec are there any sins that you are cherishing or another way to say that would be your favorite sin Do you feel surrounded by darkness when you focus on everything that is going on in the world right now instead of focusing on the savior and his perfect plan that we are all involved in right now? When we allow darkness to surround us, we are lost. We might feel like we don't know where we're going or why we're here or what our purpose is. When we allow darkness to envelop us, we can't do anything about the wounds that we carry in our hearts. The darkness blocks the light of the world, the great physician, the savior, who has already paid for those wounds and longs to heal us. When we allow the darkness to taint everything around us, our hearts no longer are receptive to the spirit. We can become past feeling. In First Nephi 17.45 it says ye have heard his voice from time to time. He hath spoken unto you in a still small voice, but ye were past feeling that ye could not feel his words. Our spirits thirst for the living water that only the savior can provide. But when we are past feeling, our hearts are no longer able to be spiritually nourished by his word. When we speak of this spiritual darkness, I don't want you to imagine that somehow the darkness is overpowering the light. If the darkness is starting to touch everything or may have completely taken over, it is not because the light moved or disappeared. You moved. And just like the physical darkness that these people in the Book of Mormon felt and saw, when we are moving toward or are in spiritual darkness, You will struggle to find any peace and calm. The emotions that you will be feeling will be stress, worry, discomfort, sadness, anger. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood. The point isn't to eliminate all darkness. We are living here on earth and there will be darkness. But the point is that the light and life of the world is always available to you, and the darkness cannot overpower you when you have Him near. Think of the sacrament prayer, the most important part of your week. It says, Witness unto Thee, O God the Eternal Father, that they are willing to take upon them the name of Thy Son, and always remember Him, and keep His commandments which He has given them, that they may always have His Spirit to be with them. If we remember Him, we are promised. His spirit will be with us. If you are doing your part, he is bound and God does not lie. His spirit will be with you. If his spirit is with you, the darkness inside you cannot win. It isn't possible because he is light. So after a while, in the midst of the darkness, a voice comes to the people, the Savior. In chapter 9, verse 2, the Savior says, Woe, woe, woe unto this people. Woe unto the inhabitants of the whole earth, except they shall repent, for the devil laugheth, and his angels rejoice because of the slain of the fair sons and daughters of my people, and it is because of their iniquity and abominations that they are fallen. He goes on to describe all the cities that have been destroyed, and then he follows it up with this message of love and mercy. In verse 13, O all ye that are spared, because ye are more righteous than they, will ye not now return unto me, and repent of your sins, and be converted, that I may heal you? Yea, verily I say unto you, If ye will come unto me, ye shall have eternal life. Behold, mine arm of mercy is extended toward you, and whosoever will come, him will I receive. And blessed are those who come unto me. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I created the heavens, and the earth, and all things that in them are. I was with the Father from the beginning. I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and in me hath the Father glorified his name. I came unto my own, and my own received me not, and the scriptures concerning my coming are fulfilled. And as many as have received me, to them I have given to become the sons of God. And even so will I to as many as shall believe on my name. For behold, by me redemption cometh, and in me is the law of Moses fulfilled. I am the light and the life of the world. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And ye shall offer up unto me no more shedding of blood. Yea, your sacrifices and your burnt offerings shall be done away. For I will accept none of your sacrifices and your burnt offerings. And ye shall offer a sacrifice unto me, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him I will baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost, even as the Lamanites, because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. Behold, I have come unto the world to bring redemption unto the world, to save the world from sin. Therefore, whoso repenteth, And come unto me as a little child, him will I receive, for such is the kingdom of God. Behold, for such I have laid down my life and have taken it up again. Therefore repent, and come unto me, ye ends of the earth, and be saved. After the Savior is finished here, there is complete silence for many hours. The people stop mourning and howling, and I wonder what the people were feeling Did the silence feel like it belonged to the Savior of the world? Did they not dare interrupt such divinity? Was the emotion so great that no physical reaction felt adequate? Then the Savior spoke again. In chapter 10, verse 6, he says, O ye house of Israel whom I have spared, how oft will I gather you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, if ye will repent and return unto me with full purpose of heart. Then, in verse 9, it says, And it came to pass that thus did three days pass away, and it was in the morning, and the darkness dispersed from off the face of the land. And the earth did cease to tremble, and the rocks did cease to rend, and the dreadful groanings did cease, and all the tumultuous noises did pass away, and the earth did cleave together that it stood, and the mourning and the weeping and the wailing of the people who were spared alive did cease, and their mourning was turned to joy, and their lamentation into praise and thanksgiving unto the Lord Jesus Christ, their Redeemer. The people gather in bountiful, and they are talking about the amazing things that had happened. And they had heard and about the sign of his death. And then we get the climax of the Book of Mormon. And I'm just going to read it because nothing I can say can be better than this. In chapter 11, verse 3, it says, And it came to pass that while they were thus conversing one with another, they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven And they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice, it had pierced them that did hear to the center, insomuch that there was not a part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to their very soul, and did cause their hearts to burn. And it came to pass that again they heard the voice, and they understood it not, And again the third time they did hear the voice, and did open their ears to hear it, and their eyes were toward the sound thereof, and they did look steadfastly toward the heaven from whence the sound came. And behold, the third time they did understand the voice which they heard, and it said unto them, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name, hear ye him. And it came to pass, as they understood, they cast their eyes up again toward heaven. And behold, they saw a man descending out of heaven, and he was clothed in a white robe, and he came down and stood in the midst of them. And the eyes of the whole multitude were turned upon him, and they durst not open their mouths, even one to another, and wist not what it meant, for they thought it was an angel that had appeared unto them. And it came to pass that he stretched forth his hand and spake unto the people, saying, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come unto the world. And behold, I am the light and the life of the world. And I have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me, and I have glorified the Father in taking upon me the sins of the world, in the which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. And it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words, the whole multitude fell to the earth. For they remembered that it had been prophesied among them that Christ should show himself unto them after his ascension into heaven. And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto them, saying, Arise and come forth unto me, that ye may thrust your hands into my side, and also that ye may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, that ye may know that I am the God of Israel, the God of the whole earth, and have been slain for the sins of the world." And it came to pass that the multitude went forth, and thrust their hands into his side, and did feel the prints of of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And this they did do, going forth one by one, until they had all gone forth, and did see with their eyes, and did feel with their hands, and did know of a surety, and did bear record, that it was he of whom was written by the prophets that should come. And when they had all gone forth and had witnessed for themselves, they did cry out with one accord, saying, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Most High God. And they did fall down at the feet of Jesus and did worship him. And it came to pass that he spake unto Nephi, for Nephi was among the multitude. And he commanded him that he should come forth. And Nephi arose and went forth and bowed himself before the Lord and did kiss his feet. And the Lord commanded him that he should arise. And he arose and stood before him. So then the Lord talks to Nephi about baptism. And I think one of the really cool things is he clarifies exactly how to baptize and baptize and gives authority and um, clarifies because he knows that there has been contention about that. And I think that that's an interesting point to think about for the time and history that we are at right now. The first, after showing himself to the Nephites, the first thing the Savior did was dispel contention. And I think we can all learn a lot from that right now because it says in there that contention is not from him. It's from Satan. And so if you have any contention going on in your life right now about whatever politics covid all the other things that are challenging in life right now try and source that figure out where it's coming from because it is not coming from him and that's the first thing that he did after he showed himself to the nephites is try to dispel that contention jody moore on her podcast better than happy always talks about how our brains want to be right more than we want to be happy. And so I want you to think about that in whatever area you're struggling right now in having contention in your life. Do you want to be right more than you want to be happy? Or can you decide that it's okay to kick those arguments to the side and it's okay if you're maybe not right? or maybe it doesn't matter if they think you're right. Just kind of do some self analysis to decide where it's coming from and if it's useful. So when I was about 13 or 14, I read a young adult series called The Tennis Shoes Series by Chris Heimerdinger. And actually I'm not totally sure I'm saying his name right, but that's how it's spelled. Um, This series is about a boy and eventually a man who goes back into different times of the Book of Mormon and has adventures among the Nephites. I highly recommend this for teenagers. It is an excellent book book and really affected me growing up. But I wanted to tell you about a moment in the fourth book. The main character, Jim, gets to witness the Savior coming to the Nephites. And I remember vividly reading in my bed, having one of the most spiritual experiences of my life up to that point. And I want to read you the part when he meets the Savior. Quote, the Savior's gaze fell upon me. The familiarity of a thousand years emanated from his eyes. And though his lips didn't move, I could almost hear them speak my name. I thought my arm would tremble as I reached out to feel the prints of the nails, but my hand was calm. As I touched his palm, a vitalizing, purifying warmth swept over me from head to toe. I felt the contour of the wound in the center of his palm and the same wound on the back of his hand. My son reached out to touch him as well, but his reach was too short. The Savior accommodated my son by moving one of his arms a little closer. I touched the material of his robe and felt the place at his side where the Roman soldier had stabbed him with a spear. For an instant i felt the pain vicariously move to my own side and then it struck me he'd received these wounds for me it was for my sake that he'd allow them that he had allowed them to be inflicted my eyes clouded with tears i cringed as i realized that my own sin had been responsible for a portion of his pain no more i vowed i'll never cause him any more pain behind me I heard the prophet Nephi shout at the top of his lungs, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Most High God. The cry reverberated as dozens, then hundreds, then thousands of people began to shout with one accord, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Most High God. My own voice rang out with the rest, as did the voice of my son and my daughters. We shouted it again and again until we became so overcome with exhaustion and e- exhaustion and exhilaration, that we fell down again at the feet of our Redeemer. A perfect understanding burning in our mind and hearts that this was our God and we were his subjects. I'd have gone to the ends of the earth. I'd have moved mountains. I'd have torn planets from their orbits and scattered the galaxies like a handful of rice if his voice had proclaimed that I should do it. The night I finished this book, which is where this book ends, i had a dream that i will never ever forget i dreamt that i was there i got to look on the face of my savior i got to touch him and wash his feet with my tears he touched me and he knew me that dream felt real And I remember trying for a very long time to fall asleep thinking of that moment in my dream so that maybe I would get to dream it again. And as far as I can remember, I haven't yet. And still now, even, how many years is that, 20 years later, I still try to think of that dream, hoping that somehow I'll dream it again and I try because it was beautiful and transcendent and perfect it was the closest I have ever experienced to the full measure of joy and I know that all the prophecies that we have for these last days in reality will happen just as the nephites prophecies really in reality happened for them the savior will come again he will be here in the flesh And someday, my dream will be a reality. I will get to see and feel my Savior. And so will you. Thanks for listening today. I can tell you guys are sharing. And if you feel inspired to do it, keep doing it. I am amazed at the blessings I'm seeing poured out on my family because of this podcast. I know that the Lord is supporting me. And honestly, it doesn't feel like a chore I am genuinely loving every minute and right now even though it's um almost three in the morning because I had a crazy busy week but I really wanted to get this out to you I am so happy to be awake right now because this is so soul filling not that I should make this a habit but I think that Heavenly Father knew what kind of week I had and he's supporting me even at 3 a.m. Thank you again, and I'll talk to you next week.